Dr. Michael Katz is the CV star professor emeritus of Russian and East European studies at Middlebury College. His published research includes numerous articles and two books, The Literary Ballad in Early 19th Century Russian Literature and Dreams and the Unconscious in 19th Century Russian Literature. As a prolific translator, he has made a number of books available for English language readers, including prose by Tolstoy, Turgenev, Slepsov, Jabotinsky, and others. His translations of Dostoevsky's works include Notes from Underground, Devil's Crime and Punishment. Dr. Katz translated The Brothers Karamazov recently, and the book came out in July 2023. In this conversation, he spoke about 19th century Russian literature, Dostoevsky's contribution to literature, and retranslating The Brothers Karamazov, and the joy he continues to derive from pursuing the craft of translation over the last four decades. Welcome to our podcast, Harshaniyam Dr. Cards. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. You worked a lot in uh, translating uh, classic Russian literature, especially 19th century Russian literature. Which is the first Russian novel you read and uh, loved totally? Sure. It was Crime and Punishment. I was 15 years old. I was in high school and I had started studying the Russian language. And it occurred to me, uh, somebody suggested that if you are interested in Russia, read Crime and Punishment. And in fact, um, just a brief digression, Edward Snowden when he was arrested and confined to the Shidemetyeva airport in Moscow, was given three books to prepare him for life in Russia. And one of the three books was Crime and Punishment. So I read that novel when I was 15. At the same time, I was studying the language. And I decided that if I studied the language long enough, that I would be able to read Crime and Punishment in the original. I didn't know quite how long it would take me till I could do that, but I stuck with it. And I think when I was about 19, I read Crime and Punishment in Russian. Crime and Punishment was my favorite novel. It's a good detective novel. Somebody once said that it's not a whodunit because you know right from the beginning who did it. So it's a why he done it. You spend 500 pages trying to figure out why Raskolnikov killed the old lady. And in the end, he does. Now, who are the writers who influenced you profoundly and why? Well, I would say the earliest writers were J.D. Salinger, right. who wrote Catcher in the Rye and Franny and Zoe. And he was a big influence on me. Curiously, Dostoevsky was a big influence on J.D. Salinger. And he wrote, I actually wrote an article some years ago about the influence of Salinger, of Dostoevsky on Salinger. You can see it in Franny and Zoe, 
and in Seymour, his later work. Um, and then it was Dostoevsky and Tolstoy that I was reading in high school, and they were the biggest influence on me. You translated a lot of uh, 19th century Russian literature. What is so unique about the 19th century Russian literature? Well, the novels are psychological and mystery novels. Dostoevsky is especially. Uh, he said that his novels were on the edge of uh, realism. They weren't completely realistic. In fact, he's been called a fantastic realist. So his novels are realistic on the surface, but once you get deep into the novel, they are very strange. In fact, one of Dostoevsky's favorite epithets is the word strange. When he says something is strange, it's out of this world. It's bizarre. I would say it, it's the most interesting period of Russian history for me when things are happening. And what, what occurs is Russian literature was very quiet for from the Middle Ages on through the 18th century. There were not very many writers of note. Uh, there was classical literature, but it was less than fascinating and imitative of French and German and English models. But beginning in the 19th century with Pushkin, the most famous Russian writer, the poet, um, Russian literature came into its own and began dealing with its own themes, its own style, its own language. And it produced within a hundred years from Pushkin's birth in 1799 to Anton Chekhov's death in 1904, within that hundred year span, it produced phenomenal novels. Turgenev, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, Saltikov Shidrin, and a lot of other people that you haven't heard of that we study in graduate school. But this burst of creative energy is unknown in any other culture. 100 years of Russian literature. And that has kept me busy for my entire professional life. You have become a translator in response to a student's request, I read. Can you tell us in detail about it? Yes, I was teaching a course called The Soul of Russia. It was cultural history, cultural and intellectual history. And there's a novel that was written by Alexander Herzen. And the novel is called Who is to Blame? And I would come into class and I would summarize the novel for the students. And I would say, gosh, I wish this novel were translated. Gosh, why hasn't anybody translated this novel? And finally, one student raised his hand and said to me, why don't you translate? And I said, I said, because I'm not a translator. And he said, well, why not? So I said, next question, please. So I went home and I began thinking about who does the translations. And I looked up to see 
who translates Russian novels. And I noticed that in addition to the professionals like Constance Garnett, actually she was an amateur, or Pever Volohonsky, the people translating them were professors of Russian literature at other colleges and universities. So I thought, well, maybe I'll try my hand and see whether I can translate. So I sat down and in two summers work, because I was teaching during the year, in two summers, I translated Herzen's novel, Who is to Blame? And that was published in 1980. And that was my first book. The first thing I translated, and then it was successful. It won a prize. And I decided that maybe I could be a translator. So since then, I've been translating Russian novels, as well as teaching and administering departments. Totally, how many novels you translated from Russian? I think it's about 22 now. Which is the most challenging work till date for you to translate out of these 22 or the novels that you have done? Well, I would say Dostoevsky's style uh -huh. demanded the most. He's very intense okay. when he writes. Nothing happens slowly in his books. He doesn't use the word gradually or slowly. Everything is sudden. Suddenly this, all of a sudden that. And that's, I've translated four things by Dostoevsky. And uh, of those, it's possible that Notes from Underground was the most difficult. The first 30 pages are all philosophy. And they're not novelistic at all. They don't have a plot. It's the underground man's complaint that life is unfair and that he's closed himself in the underground. And that's a very difficult part to translate. Karamazov's Grand Inquisitor, the most famous part of the novel, that's hard to translate too. So you had to do any preparation for this to get uh, these three translations done? I've been teaching that book for 50 years, uh, reading it, reading, reading criticism of the book, hearing my students talk about the book. There wasn't much reading I had to do. When did you first read Brothers Karamzov and uh, what was your impression when you read it first? Well, I read it in high school when I was 15 or 16. And I found that it raised the questions that were bothering me as an individual. That is, the nature of good and evil, whether there's a God or not, whether the devil exists, is the devil independent from God? If what is morality based on? And those were questions that were bothering me as a 15-year-old. I had been I had been raised as a Jew and went through the ceremony of a bar mitzvah when I was 13 and went through a very religious period and was looking at comparative religions all across the world. Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, Christianity. And um, I decided that I wasn't going to adopt any one of those religions for my own practice, but that the study of religion was a fascinating branch of knowledge. And in 
Karamazov, the religious questions were foremost in the author's mind. So the characters sit down in a tavern, have a beer, and discuss whether or not there is a god. Only in Russian novels does that happen. When it comes to other novels too, everything starts with a murder. Yes. Right? Why do you think this uh, recurring theme of murder comes in as a plot point in every novel? Why do you think it uh, repeats? There's a very interesting Russian critic whose name is Bakhtin, Mikhail Bakhtin. And he wrote that the difference between Dostoevsky and Tolstoy is that Tolstoy is interested in death. Characters dying. They often take a long time to die. And you see the reaction of other characters to their death. In Dostoevsky, he doesn't describe death. He describes murders. He's interested in violence, extreme emotions, cruelty. So you're quite right. Every novel by Dostoevsky has a murder and often has a suicide as well, which is self-murder. So... But he doesn't describe death. He's not interested. That's too slow. So is it the case that uh, murder, uh, you know, killing yourself or killing somebody else is the ultimate sin, they say. Do you think that uh, he's trying to, you know, talk about it, analyze it, about the ultimate sin and the punishment? I think he is. And the, the punishment largely comes from inside. Uh, one's conscience bothers one. So that Raskolnikov, for example, in Crime and Punishment, has five dreams, which are the welling up of his subconscious. And he feels guilty in each one of his dreams. He's responsible for the murder yet again. And in, in two of the dreams, he reenacts the murder. So it's a bad conscience that won't give him any peace. And until he confesses the murder and and pays the civil price, that is, goes to Siberia, uh, he's not going to be able to live comfortably. Now, coming to Brothers Karamzo, he, uh, Dostoevsky faced a near-death experience. He stood before a firing squad. And uh, he was sent to Siberia. His son died at a very young age. How do you think all this personal experience has influenced his writing when it comes to Brothers Karamzov? Well, I think it focused his attention on important experience, not the superficialities of man's existence. Uh, Tolstoy is interested in family, wives, children, the death of a parent, the death of a, a child. Um, family life is the basis of Tolstoy's vision. Dostoevsky is interested in critical moments of life when you're faced with a major decision. And I think the mock execution that he underwent in the early 50s really shook him up 
And then he spent 10 years outside of Petersburg in exile before he was allowed to come back. Um, and he he really suffered during that time. He met all sorts of characters in Siberia, and those were very influential in his later writing. People that he wouldn't have met in Petersburg were all prisoners in the camp where he was. Um, so I think the combination of dramatic experience and these interesting characters that he met influenced him for the rest of his life. He even spent some time in uh, one of the monasteries. When his young son died, which you mentioned before, when his young son died, he went to the monastery to consult with an elder there. I visited that monastery, by the way. There's a there's a sign that says Dostoevsky visited this monastery and consulted with Father So and So. Uh, so I stood on the spot where Dostoevsky was conferring about his great grief over the death of his young son. Uh, but yes, he knew a great deal about monasteries and about the institution of the elder, which is Father Zasima. When it comes to the ending of uh, Brothers Karamzo, uh, there was Alyosha's speech um, about the uh, importance of faith in God, offering hope. Mm -hmm. Dostoevsky appears to be a person who believes in God greatly. Definitely. And despite that, uh, like Camus, Kafka, who says that you know man is responsible for his own action and all, they all say that they are influenced by Dostoevsky. Well, I think he raises the right question that I mentioned before about how I got interested in him. He raises questions of existence, of faith, of morality, of truth. He doesn't waste time on superficialities. Um, and whether you accept his answer or not, if you've read my uh, postscript in the novel, I say that I personally don't accept his answer. I'm not a believer. But it doesn't make any difference because I still think about those questions and I meet people who are believers and this helps me understand other people. You mean to say the questions uh, he raises are more important than the answers he gives? I think that's right. That's well put. There was a mention of, you know, the second part, the sequel to Brothers Karamazov. I don't think he was ever going to write a sequel. I think that it was a narrative trick in a way to say, I'm going to write a second book. I tell you that Alyosha is the hero of my book and you wonder why he's the hero. He plays such a slim role in this first novel. Well, I'm going to write a second novel and make him the real hero of that book. In fact, there are no notes, no outlines, no letters. Dostoevsky had outlines and notes to every one of his novels. I have them all. I have them in Russian and in English. He was constantly doodling and, and making sketches of what he was going to write. But there's nothing that indicates 
he was going to write a second volume. So I think it was not accurate. The evidence suggests that there isn't any indication that he did write a second novel. One is enough, I think. How do you think uh, your translation improves the previous translations? Well, I think there are several things that I do that the other translators haven't done. One of them is I'm looking at Dostoevsky's humor. It's very dark and sometimes black humor. And I try to bring out the humor wherever I see that it exists. Sometimes it's in his language. Sometimes it's in his characters. In Karamazov, the father, Fyodor Karamazov, is a buffoon. And he every scene that he's in is funny. It ends up with some sort of hysterical outrage. And you laugh. And I think it's more than just comic relief. It's genuine humor that Dostoevsky is using. The other thing I do is when there is elevated speech, I try to represent the elevated speech by using more old church Slavic words in my speech. Also, all my graduate work was done at Oxford. So my English is not typical American English. It's somewhere more elevated, more British uh, than the normal American, the average American. So I think my style tends to this more elevated language. And the dictionary I use sits right here behind me is the Oxford English Dictionary. So when it translates from Russian into English, it tends to be a higher style than the American dictionary, which I have up here. If I'm in doubt, I check it in both. And I say, what's it in English, British English? What's it in American English? And then I choose what I think is the best equivalent. That's another way. Repetition is another factor. Some translators believe that you should do use all the repetition that Dostoevsky uses. I think the Russian ear is more tolerant of repetition, and the English and American ear is not. And it gets boring and repetitive if you keep saying these words over and over again. So I try to decide whether the repetition is semantically loaded or not. A word like laceration, nadrif, the Russian word is. So he uses that word very carefully. And other translators, Kabir Balahonsky, I think, have chosen a break. Um, Constance Garnett uses laceration, which is perfect. And I decided that I would use hers. But I looked at words like rupture, um, crack, break, slit, rip, tear. These are all the words that the dictionary gives you for what that word means, and decided that laceration really, although it's a long word and an abstract word compared to nadrif in Russian, I think it's still 
does the trick. And each character speaks in his own way. Fyodor uses very rough and tough Russian. Alyosha uses sincere religious Russian. Ivan uses intellectual Russian. So each character has to have his own style. So the first few novels that you translated, uh, they didn't have earlier versions into English. They were not translated. When did you decide to translate uh, uh, these uh, novels, which are already translated, where their previous versions are existing, you started translating? Why did you do so? And when did you start? Which novel you started this with? I started it with my second book, which is uh, What is to be Done by Chernyshevsky. And it had been translated twice, but very badly. And I compared the versions, the two versions that existed. And my students said, this is unreadable. And they were right. So I decided I teamed up with a Russian historian and we worked on it together. I translated the text and he did the footnotes and we shared the introduction. But it was um, a labor of love. It was a book which is not a great novel. In fact, it's not even a good novel. But as one of my students once said, it's a bad but important novel. And that's what I did. So it was a bad but important novel in the history of Russian literature. In fact, Lenin took that title, What is to be Done, and used it for one of his essays in 1904. What is the sequence of your translation? How do you go about it? Well, the first thing I do is read the book, look at the other translations of it, and decide if it has already been translated, and decide, um, try to find somebody, a publisher, who's interested in it, because I don't like translating and then not having, not knowing what's going to happen to it. So I write a proposal. Uh, I'll I'll tell you in a minute about what I'm doing now. I'm working on another book. Uh, I write a proposal, and then I send the proposal to a publisher, and I say, this is my current project. Might you be interested in seeing a sample of it? And then I send a sample of my proposal along with my resume to this publisher, and they decide on the basis of my sample and my proposal. They usually send it out to readers, and the readers report on it and recommend whether to publish it or not. And then I start at the beginning. Uh, I work early in the morning from about 5 a.m. until 7.30 when my wife wakes up, and we have breakfast together. And I tell her how the day's translation went. And then I don't work on it again until the next morning. I do it in when my mind is its sharpest, which is very early in the morning. And uh, once you translate uh, the first cut, uh, do you revisit? and? Uh... Oh, gosh, many times. So after I do the first draft, I read the whole thing through. And then I send it to a native speaker of Russian 
who's my consultant, and she checks the Russian with the English, and she she's very good uh, consultant. She speaks Russian is her native language, and she speaks English extremely well. And she marks up my copy, gives it back to me, and then I go over it and I look at the things she suggested. I make changes in it. Then I print it out and I read the whole thing again. And only then do I send it off to a publisher. And then the publisher looks at it and they make suggestions of what to change. The readers that the publisher sends it to make suggestions. So I make more changes in it. And then I read the whole thing through again. And then finally it goes to the copy editor. Copy editor makes changes, sends it back to me. I have to react to all of his queries. And um, it seems to go on forever. I don't know how many times Karamazov went back and forth between me and the publisher. But the result is a polished work. Now, Brothers Karamazov, how many weeks it took? Three years. I wrote a piece called COVID and Karamazov. I started I started uh, translating Karamazov at the beginning of the pandemic. There was nothing else to do. The movie was closed. The theater was closed. The concerts weren't here. The students were all sent home because the college didn't want to have students in dormitories. So with nothing else to do, I started translating Karamazov. You have been teaching uh, for the last five decades. Uh, how do you think uh, it helped you as a translator? Well, teaching means I read these books over and over and over again and teach them. And teaching something, you get to know it very well. And students discuss the books in class and then write papers about it. And I learn from my students. So I would say I come to understand these books better and better as time goes by. And the better I understand the books, the better translator I become. Uh, what is the novel that you're currently translating? Well, it's not a novel. It's Tolstoy's writings for young children. He was very interested in education. He began a school. He started a school on his own estate in outside of Tula in Russia. And he wrote about 300 short stories. Some of them are only a few sentences and some of them are a few pages to teach children how to read and write. And these stories have never been translated. And I'm translating all of them. And uh, then after I translate all of them as a scholarly work, I will carve out a few of the stories that are appropriate for children now and publish them as books for children. And I have a student of mine who does illustrations. So he'll be doing drawings to match the stories. That's my current project. It's ambitious. Uh, when is it likely to come out? And maybe next year. 
2024, I don't know. I'm about a quarter of the way through. For anyone who wants to start reading Dostoevsky, uh, which of his novels uh, he should pick up first? Well, I think starting with Crime and Punishment makes sense. It's the easiest to get into. It begins with the rehearsal of a crime. And then on page 50, Rasolnikov commits his crime. And then from then on, you're trying to figure out why he did it. But I think it's the best detective novel of all of them. So after you read Crime and Punishment, then you could try Karamazov. But I think Crime and Punishment would be the one I recommend. Now, in terms of uh, critique, uh, which book do you recommend on uh, Dostoevsky? Well, Joseph Frank wrote five volume life and works of Dostoevsky. So you can look whatever novel you're working on or reading and read that section of his biography. Or he wrote also wrote a one-volume condensation of his five-volume work. And you can read from that one volume. But I think his is the best writing about Dostoevsky. Joseph Frank. What is the joy that uh, you continue to derive from translating these great writers? You have been doing it for the last 43 years. And uh, just during our conversation, you said you're translating one more book. Well, part of it is the language. Start each day with translation. And that means I'm having a language lesson. I'm learning Russian better every time I translate a page. I look up the word and... Since I've been 15, I've been studying this language. As I say to my students, I hope I get it right sometime. I've been at this for 50 years, and I still am learning things when I'm translating, still learning words and learning constructions, idioms. I have a wonderful dictionary here, fairly new, called Russian English Idioms. It's a thousand pages of Russian idioms. I don't know them all. So I'm learning. I'm learning as I go along. And uh, as I said before, these questions that are posed in these novels still are questions that I think about. And when I'm reading other things, I'm raising those same questions, having discussions with students or colleagues. These are questions that are foremost in my mind. So in terms of language and content, both of those uh, give me joy. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kurtz. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.